Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together out loud, book by book, chapter by chapter. So cool. We're in the book of Revelation now, looking at Revelation chapter 3. We're wrapping up this first section here with these little letters in the midst of everything, these little letters to the seven churches. Uh, and we, we saw that. It was introduced in chapter 1, the seven lampstands, these uh, seven stars. And the seven lampstands, you recall, were golden. And, uh, well, that's very fitting. It's the way the chapter is opening up to this chapter with lots of interesting things. The synagogue of Satan, a church that is neither uh, hot nor cold and is spit out because it's lukewarm. What do those things mean? Well, we're going to turn to our golden guest today. We've got Pastor Kevin Golden, pastor at Village in Ladue, uh, Missouri. Welcome, brother. It's been a little while since uh, I think I last saw each other since we last talked. And uh, I'm not sure we've had the pleasure of uh, being on Thy Strong Word together. So very cool. Welcome. So good to have you today as our guest. Hey, good to be with you. And yeah, it's been a little while since I've uh, chatted with you in person. And I think this is my first time back on Thy Strong Word since you became host. So uh, glad to be able to be with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it was a while ago, if I recall, I think it was like one snowy day where um, like most of the churches in the area in St. Louis had, col had closed. I think it was like, um, must it must have been like, you know, like at this point, like three or so years ago or something like that. And uh, I just, we just kind of took our car over and just kind of skied on the streets over over to, to Village Ladue since it's so close to the seminary. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and it uh, always works nice. You know, Village has the policy if Pastor can be here, we'll have a service. And since I live on the campus with the parsonage, I can always be go. here. So, uh, yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like if, if you have a shelter in place, it's like, well, this is kind of like a, like a big living room for me. So this is in place, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> very, very good. So, yeah, I mean, really interesting chapter here in Revelation chapter three. I mean, just, I mean, well, just all of these. Um, you know, these letters to the seven churches, um, you know, and, and it's so interesting because they're, they're in the form of letters, right? But as we've been talking about, it's kind of like letters within this broader framework. And so we really, I think, as we hear these letters with all these different things, whether it's, you know, the comments about the the, the soiled garments in the church in Sardis or the synagogue of Satan uh, to the church in Philadelphia or the, the being lukewarm, uh, these are messages for all of the church and things that we certainly can relate to in our own congregations today. Amen. Amen. And uh, I'm sorry that I didn't get a chance to listen in yesterday, so I may repeat a couple things that were already said, but it's of high significance that, yeah, this is we're dealing with three of the seven letters. And so seven is uh, the Lord's number of authority and completion over creation. And so really, um, while it's seven specific historic true congregations with real people, nevertheless, seven, because it's applicable to all churches at all times. So this message is intended for you and I as well. Definitely. Well, there is, I mean, like like you were saying, we've got like three. So you're gonna, we're going to want to try to spend a decent amount of time on each one of these things, give them their due. So let's turn to the text. As we do so, would you say a prayer for us and for everyone listening and uh, just for everyone um, as, as we continue to uh, just have this time of prayer and peace and reading the scriptures uh, in the midst of everything going on? Most certainly. Let us pray. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, you are faithful to your church. 
You gave your own son into death to redeem the church. You pour out the Holy Spirit upon the church that the church might be sanctified. You do that for us corporately as the body of Christ. You do it for us individually as well. We give you thanks and praise. So strengthen us in the midst of whatever stressors may be upon us, in the midst of a world that seems turned upside down. Give us peace and confidence in knowing that which will not change, that which remains certain and sure, and that is your love for us in Christ our Savior. Where we are called to repent, work through the law to convict us that we would repent, but even more work in us faith to trust in Christ in all things, knowing that in him your goodness your grace, your mercy abounds through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Uh, thank you. Yeah, you know, you're uh, mentioning and uh, building on the theme of repentance just reminds me, I think I mentioned it yesterday that um, CPH put out this this series, um, Revelation for Lent, and it was focused around these seven churches because these letters are certainly calls to repentance and uh, it's very appropriate to be looking at these seven letters during the season of Lent. Most certainly, yes. I'm trying to recall if these letters actually pop up in the Lenten Tide lectionary anywhere. Um, do you recall off the top of your head? You know, I don't recall them in the appointed readings um, from the lectionary. I don't think they come up during Lent at all, although it'd be very appropriate, which is maybe also why a CPH so wisely did a series off of that, because That's right. Even though it's not popping up during uh, the Sunday appointed readings, you can make use of that during the Wednesday midweek services and such. Right. Actually, okay. So yes, I, I just pulled it up. Yeah, that's right. I was, I was, I was afraid of that. Yeah, this is actually one of these texts where it just doesn't actually occur in the lectionary anywhere, whether it's the, the historic or the three year. Um, so yeah, so it's really great to be looking and spending some time, and you know, whether that's in a sermon series or a Bible study, you know, to take a look at these texts that. You, you know, you might not read um, on your own. I think that lots of people, though, uh, might be a little bit familiar with this because this is one of those things where people are like, well, you know, hey, I'm going to read some stuff in the Bible, and hey, Genesis, that sounds pretty interesting. Revelation, hey, that sounds pretty cool, right? So this is one of those books I think that people start reading, um, and you kind of work your way through, and I think you probably make it through to chapter three. I think, you know, sometimes we end up giving up maybe sometime around chapter uh, six or seven, <laughs> right, right, <laughs> and maybe and maybe you don't quite make it to the end, but but you know, so I think this this may sound familiar to some people, even though it's not in the lectionary. Uh, but right. without any further ado, let's go ahead and just take a look. Maybe not the whole letter to the church in Sardis, but maybe just a, maybe a few verses here, just to kind of get the ball rolling. Um, and we can take a look at, you know, what is what is uh, going on with the introduction to this letter and kind of what's the, the key, uh, what, what's kind of the, the prominent description here. Okay, so just the first few verses of Revelation chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and what is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. All right, so just pausing there just to kind of um, you know, just break this up a little bit. But the two things that jump out at me, one, um, every one of these letters um, has a way of introducing or describing the Lord Jesus in a different way we've seen, right? In the first four letters, 
you know, there was the, the mention of the, the flames of fire, the, the two-edged sword, the, the first and the last, um, and, and the lampstands, right? That was actually to the church in Ephesus. And here again, we have mention of the, of, of the seven, well, here, I guess it's not really the lampstands. It's actually specifically the, the spirits and the, and the stars. Um, so that's one thing. And you kind of say, hmm, I wonder, like, why that's the introduction chosen for this church, um, and then just <laughs> what a striking description of a church, right? Um, people think you're alive, but you're dead. Right. Uh, that is a wake-up call, to say the least. And uh, again, as we've already said, this is uh, certainly true of the church in Sardis, a true historic church, real people that uh, to whom this was written. But also that's true for the church today, an opportunity for each one of us in every congregation, the church as a, as a whole, to examine uh, where is it that uh, you see the deadness within us, if you will, the mm-hmm. um, perhaps uh, maybe specifically dead in the way of um, our life outside ourselves, dead as far as dead in our works towards others, potentially. Yeah. Well, and that's and that's really interesting, you know, just that description of the word dead, because, and, and maybe, I don't know if this is maybe just kind of my peculiar experience, but I feel like when people talk about dead churches or churches being dead, I mean, I, I think that we we kind of use that in a way that's similar to the way that we talk about, I don't know, if, if like a restaurant is dead, right? Or yeah. like... Uh, if a party is dead, right? Like not a lot of exciting things are going on. There's not that many people, right? Like, and so our description of like a dead church is like, oh, like, you know, there's not many people here on a Sunday. Like no good energy. Yeah, that's right. Like we don't, there's not a lot of like loud noise, right? Like, you know, it's not a very strong vibe here. And while, you know, that might be something to, to think about, right? The description of dead here is, is not, it doesn't seem about that. It's about, as you said, it's about, works good deeds right yeah yeah so when uh, so we we often put it this way within lutheranism that um good works don't save you so um but that doesn't mean they're not necessary good works are necessary they're just not necessary for salvation they are necessary in that first of all god calls us to do good works and secondly because it's the natural outgrowth of faith and so um when good works are not present, when we're not living in love towards the neighbor, um, you don't really resonate with the life of Christ, because that's what Christ does. So when Christ dwells within uh, the church, of course the church is going to be living in love towards the neighbor. Right. Yeah, no, and that's and this is, I think, one of the many, many ways where John is just, again, like, sounding a lot like Paul. Like, you know, they're, hey, look at that, they're apostles of the same Lord and Savior, and they sound a lot alike. You know, and so when Paul says stuff like, you know, like, um, you know, I have died and it's Christ who lives in me, or just like all the different ways that he talks about the idea of Christ being alive in us, right? It's as Mm -hmm. you said, uh, if Christ is alive in us, well, necessarily, right, good works are going to follow. It's not possible that Christ is not going to do good works. It's, It's in his nature. In fact, it's, I mean, because he is, uh, I mean, God, that necessarily yeah. goodness is going to flow from him. So, I mean, there, there is that, the idea just if, if, if Christ is alive in us, you know, and, that, and there's that focus, right. And that's the same focus that Luther had that, you know, we don't, this is, I mean, yes, it's true. You can talk about how the Lord Jesus lived a perfect life, um, you know, in his, in his kind of natural life of 30 some years. Right. 
but the focus is really on uh, the life he's living right now in his in his church because that's what makes us alive right right and you know this is uh, the revelation to saint john my own personal belief and i can't prove this so uh dear listeners you don't have to agree with me on this <laughs> my uh, my belief is that the revelation was given to saint john and then he wrote his account of the gospel as kind of like an interpretive key to it, because he uses a lot of the same themes and everything else, so that, hey, the book Revelation is hard. It's difficult. And so he writes his account of the gospel, so you know who this Jesus is that's described in the book of Revelation. So go to yeah. uh, go to John, the Gospel according right. to St. John, chapter 15, and what you were just describing, Pastor Espinoza, is really set forth nicely there, where Jesus talks about, I am the vine, here are yep. the branches, all right? Yep. So what's going to happen? Uh, when the branches are connected to the vine, what do they naturally do? Bring forth good fruit. And that's mm-hmm. just, it's, uh, you don't even, it's not even something where you're sitting there willing yourself to do it, but rather it's the natural result of being connected to Christ. Now, another way that you can approach this is uh, just kind of in our classic law gospel understanding is that you're getting some good work uh, words of law here. And yes, the law is good, even when it comes rather bluntly like this, is that, hey, guys, if you look in and of yourself, you're dead (laughs) because you're not living by the word of the Lord. You're not living in love to your neighbor. And so getting a word of law to condemn and some gospel is going to still be coming. Right. Yes. No. And and we should we should turn to that gospel. Um, one one last question here about this part that we just read. So in particular, I mean, he's saying the works are not complete, and it is interesting the way he's talking. Right. You know, we we see in the Greek text there. This is one of these. You know, uh, the, the the your is emphasized, which actually reminds me. I think it was the same thing. I think back in John's letter, if I recall, I think in John three. That, that same, that, that sue, that possessive was actually fronted where it's like, well, your works are like this and then your works are like that, right? So similarly uh, here, um, John seems to be using the same kind of construction where he's talking about, well, your works, right? Um, how, I fa- how I found your works, it says um, they're not complete, right? And so what is, what is that getting at complete? I have, something comes to mind uh, for me from the Sermon on the Mount, um, but what, what, is, what does it mean to have, incomplete works in this sense? Yeah, and uh, that's a fine question. My initial thought is this, that uh, they're incomplete and that anything that I do in and of myself is going to be incomplete. Um, Completion, fullness, only comes in Christ our Savior. Right. Well, yeah, no, certainly there is, I I think, to to what you just said, like a broad um, application that really just, I mean, you you see it in everybody and see it in in the fact that in, in the sinful nature that we have, it's uh, we're the leaky vessels that, you know, nothing we do is, uh, you know, complete, right? There, even even when we're doing our good works, right? There's, I mean, the the sinful man is still there, right? And so there's there's kind of always yeah. something um, incomplete, and and the only completion, right, is on on the Christ side of it. Yeah. I, I do now wonder the other if way, there, yeah, go yeah, ahead. I was going to say maybe another way to take this would be that. Um, they are not complete in that, hey, there is still more that you are called to do uh, so that yeah. the Lord is still at is still calling you to go about the labor he's given you to do because it's not yet reached its fullness. Right, right. I, and, and I think 
and I think that's a little bit where my my mind is going too. That like maybe he's you know this this does seem to be with that kind of emphasized you know your works right. So this seems to be something that's kind of like particular to them. And so while yeah, the church in Philadelphia and the church in Laodicea and all of them right, like all of them would have to confess you know we are we are sinful and everything mm-hmm. we do is incomplete right. I do wonder if there is kind of something particularly incomplete in some sense about Sardis, but maybe we'll just keep that in mind and read the rest of this part to Sardis here and see what sense we can make of it. So we read through verse two then. um, And so this is picking it up then with verse three. Remember then what you received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet, you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." All right, so a number of things here that are familiar again, you know, the, the one who conquers, right? We've talked about that. That seems to be the conclusion um, with, with these letters here. And then, um, you know, like he who has an ear even. So it's similar things. But then what, what kind of stands out as a little bit unique here, there's this white garments language, which, uh, of course, we're going to see later in Revelation in a very dramatic way about these, you know, white garments and, and what uh, the connection is is there. Um, but th- this whole idea of you still have a, isn't it interesting in verse four, you still have a few names, it says, because um, it, it seems like the idea of name actually um, is is perhaps one of the, the, the kind of key words of this whole letter. Um, back in like verse one, where it says you have the reputation of being alive, right? Like their literal Greek word there is you have the name of being alive. Right. Um, and then and then there at the end in verse five, like I will confess his name before my father. Right. So it seems right. like this name idea might be part part of the key to, you know, seeing how this all ties together. What, what are your thoughts here? I'm taking a look here at this this last part about the, the garments soiled or white worthy confessing the name. Yeah, and and I'd say you're right on the money, Pastor Espinosa, because uh, name is going to keep being a huge thing throughout the Book of Revelation. Uh, that and this is a very Hebraic way to think that the name carries your very identity. Now, this right. is certainly true of God Himself. This is why He's so concerned about uh, that you not um, take His name in vain. Or also, hallowed be thy name, because whatever you do to his name, you're doing to him, because he and his name are inseparable. That's also true for us as well, that uh, our name carries our very identity. And so when he confesses our name, he's doing something for us. And uh, when he puts our name in his book of life, or here he says he'll never blot it out, that is uh, carrying us through as well. So I think you have uh, really hit on a key point in all this is that what's going on with the name is what's going on with you. 
Right. Well, and, and we've we've seen that before with the baptismal connection and that idea of name and identity already, right? I think we were, what was it? We were looking at, um, it was the, there was this one church that had, we saw at the end, there was this bit about the, uh, the, the, the seven-eyed stone with a name on it, right? Yeah. I'm trying to re- recall where, which one that was. Uh, which, which, which church was it that had that bit? Um, going back and looking at, let's see, it was, because it actually, that was the thing too. There it was here. It wasn't Thyatira, it was right before that Pergamum, right? Um, there it was. Um, he, yeah, there it is at the very last verse there in 17. To the one yeah. who conquers, I will give some of the hidden mana and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on it, right? Um, and, and we kind of saw a little bit of that that connection even there, right? The idea of being given a name, um, and, you know, that that old tradition of, uh, you know, na- naming the child on the eighth day at the circumcision, right? Or, um, right. or in, the, in the church, right, receiving your, your name or your Christian name in connection to your baptism and, and, and all the rest. Uh, but, yeah, so that, that baptismal idea is coming up, as you were saying, because it is about identity. It is about, you know, not just, you know, what, what, what's the, the sound or the thing on the birth certificate, right? But, like, who you are. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and I think if you try to put that then together with this completion idea, I, I wonder if the idea becomes a little bit something like this, that like, you know, you, you, you've been given an, a new name, you've been given an identity in Christ, you've been given, what, what's it say, right? Uh, remember then what you received, right, and heard, what you've been given, right? So they've been given something, an identity with uh, works that correspond with that, but some of it, it seems, is has just been uh, forgotten, neglected, that they were given this stuff, um, but yeah. it's not being put into action here. And the, the thing that re- it reminds me of is, is in the Sermon on the Mount, you have this bit from Matthew 5, where the Lord says, um, he, he tells, you know, actually, I should just pull it up here. But he says, you know, therefore be... Uh, and, and the translations kind of differ on how to take this, uh, but some translations say perfect. Um, but another way, if you look at the Greek word there, you could say complete. Um, therefore, be complete as your heavenly Father is complete. Yeah. And in, in the context there, it's about loving your enemies, right? And he goes and says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And yeah. and I think the idea there is he's saying not that like, hey, Moses said this, and I'm giving you um, something better, but like, hey... Um, that was the point of Leviticus 19 was that you would love even your enemies, right? Like, so I think this is the same idea where like our Lord is saying, Hey, look, you were given this from Moses, but you're neglecting it and you've left out a key part of it, right? That's out of step with your identity. I think it's the same thing here. Church and Sardis, you were given this, right? You were given yeah. this in Moses. You're, you were given this in the teaching of the apostles, but you're neglecting it. You're not acting on it. You're acting like you have a different name and like they told you something else. Right, right. So you're not living out your identity. Be who you are. Yeah. And rejoice in who you are. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, very very appropriate for the, the fourth uh, Sunday in Lent, of course, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah there thanks. you go, yeah. Give, give thanks for, for who you are, right? So he, it's not like he's telling them anything new and uh, don't don't pretend that you know it's uh, you know something like oh well we we had no idea right like no 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 you you've been you've been told this um, we 
our break's coming up. We're going to take a really quick question. We might not have any time to answer it, but we got Larry calling with a comment, actually, about Sardis. Um, brother, uh, about about 30 seconds here. Thanks for giving us a call. Okay. Uh, what, 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 are you, what, are you, what are you thinking about? So the city of Par- Sardis appeared as a gigantic watchtower and was considered impregnable. There were five roads leading up to it, and twice it was conquered by being unattentive the watchmen were unattentive. And therefore, in verse 3, therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you in a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. It's about guarding. To me, it's about guarding the doctrine. But yeah. in the historical sense, that was Sardis. It was a watchtower built way up high, and they fell twice by being unguarded. That's my comment. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. I, I want to talk about that maybe a little bit more when we get back, but we got to take our break now. But everybody, hang on. We're going to talk about the rest of the chapter as well as Larry's comment there about the church in Sardis when we get back on Thy Strong Word. This is a test of the emergency alert system. This has been a test of the emergency alert system. Hi. I'm Gary Duncan, the Executive Director of KFUO Radio. Locally, nationally, and worldwide, we are impacted by the coronavirus pandemic. All of us during this difficult and unprecedented time are affected in some way. You may be isolating yourself at home or maybe even have family members or friends infected by this virus. All of the KFUO staff is practicing social distancing by working from home offices or for us on the air staff, we have temporary home studios set up, which in reality may be nothing more than a microphone and headphones connected to a computer with software, allowing us to connect back to the main studio at KFUO. Our promise to you is to continue to bring you the word of Christ in our programming and worship services, the clear message that we've been proclaiming since 1924. In this time of uncertainties, we can find comfort in Scripture. God is our refuge and our strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. That's from Psalm 46, 1. Thank you for listening and supporting KFUO Radio. And again, rest assured that when you turn on your radio, click our live stream, or download your favorite podcast, we will be here proclaiming Christ for you anytime, anywhere. The Messenger of Good News, KFUO Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. 
I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Revelation chapter 3, these three letters to these churches in Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. Before we wrap up this uh, letter to the church in Sardis, we want to take one uh, look here at this comment we just received. Uh, Larry was just calling in, telling us a little bit more about the historical setting of Sardis. I really appreciate that, because uh, I think I've mentioned it on, on the program before. Uh, the kind of historical, geographical stuff is is going to just honestly be like one of my weaker points here. Like, um, you know, I'm, I'm really keen on the Greek and looking at what's in there on the language side of things. So I appreciate comments like that. Thank you, brother. If you have a comment um, like uh, the one that Larry just offered or a question, uh, for us, you give us a call, 1-800-730-2727. Uh, I, I think you can also still call the, the local one, 314-821-0850. Or you can also send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Uh, yes, both those numbers still do work. So give us a call if you have a question or a comment uh, for me and our guest today, Pastor Kevin Golden, pastor at Village Lutheran Church in Ladue, Missouri. So yeah, brother, what, what do you think about that? I think that it really, um, it really kind of adds a lot of color to this letter, the idea of there, there being this, this guard tower that you need mm. to uh, wake up and guard actually, or else that guard tower doesn't really do you any good. That's right. And you know what uh, the comment reminded me of is uh, at the time of uh, Jeremiah, and even the days leading up even before that, one of the false beliefs amongst God's people was they looked at themselves sitting there in Jerusalem, which is also set yeah. up on a hill, a great strategic location and such. Mm -hmm. But their real problem was they looked at it this way. They looked at the temple as an insurance policy. So as long yeah. as we have the temple, we cannot be touched. And so this is often referred to as the inviolability of Jerusalem. But the problem mm. was this, that they had themselves kind of caved uh, when it came to idolatry, that they had allowed uh, idols even to be erected within the temple. And so God himself said, you know what, I'm removing myself from the temple. It is not your divine insurance policy. And so therefore, they ended up being overrun by the Babylonians and such. Right. And that is a good reminder. This is true for the people of God, for the church today as well, that um, if we become lax, and we do not hold firm, we will become run over, not by um, just a foreign aggressor, but far more that we would, uh, if we do not remain vigilant in fidelity to Christ, we can be overrun by Satan himself via false doctrine and such. Right. Well, I mean, to your point, right, that you raised earlier about the connection to the Gospel of John, like, you know, I think in, in that metaphor of, you know, vine the branches, if there's a dead branch, right, who is it that, that you know, acts? Well, it's God, and, and God just cuts the branch off and throws it into the fire, right? And so uh, similarly here, right, the warning is not that, um, you know, like, oh, well, you know, because, you know, there's these scary things out there that are, might get you, but you know, I will never blot out his name, right? So that idea being like, well, I mean, Christ will blot out the name. Like, so to your, to your point, you're just saying, I mean, yeah, those, um, there may be the forms of foreign oppressors or, um, you know, I mean, viruses, you know, Lord knows what, right? But the thing is, ultimately, whatever it is, right, it's, it's God who's actually behind it um, in that right righteous wrath and judgment here so i yeah I, I really i really like um you know like what what larry was just saying there that there's this idea because actually there in, in verse three when it says keep right that word keep 
it does have the sense of like like obey or like you know observe it right um but also does have that idea of guarding right like like you have like this this guard tower um and and the other side of that that i was just going to bring up really briefly is that you know it's interesting because if this is uh written to the angel one of the ways that you can take this is that this is to the the bishop of the church Mm -hmm. in sardis right so there's these little house churches right that are in in the city right but there is a there's a bishop there who is responsible for what's going on at that city right and and for all the things that are going on there and it's a super it's super super important for him to be guarding um the doctrine to to what larry was saying not just in the sense that everyone's saying the right thing or repeating you know, after him, the exact thing word for word, though that's that's a helpful start <laughs> if everyone's using the same words. Um, but then to like the point that that John um, is conveying here for the Lord Jesus, you know, keeping the doctrine, guarding the doctrine by not forgetting it and not putting it into practice. Exactly. Yeah. So again, we've uh, linked to St. Paul in the past because, hey, the whole of Scripture holds together. But you can think about Paul's instructions to young Pastor Timothy. He tells him, uh, guard your life and the doctrine closely. In other words, uh, this is what you really got to look for in your pastor. His life should be um, in keeping with the Word of the Lord, but also look at what's coming out of his mouth or listen to what's coming out of his mouth. Is it in keeping with the doctrine, as in the teaching of Christ that he's given us in Holy Scripture? Uh, because if that gets astray, the church is going to fall apart. Right, right. And no, that's right. It's a twofold thing, keeping this this doctrine, right? It's the words that are coming out of your mouth and also the works that are, you know, yes. being shown with, with your hands and your feet and all the rest, right? And it's... it's uh, and we talked about that a little bit before too, but so the, the both these sides to it, right? And so for here in the church in Sardis, the emphasis being, hey, you're you're not actually guarding and keeping the doctrine if you're ignoring it and not putting it into practice. Um, certainly, good advice. Um, not not just good advice, really, but but just good um, law that really condemns um, all of us and is a most salutary reminder for the church even today, as we've been saying. Um, We we have two more uh, really important salutary reminders uh, in Philadelphia and Laodicea. Let's turn to Philadelphia real quick here. And I think maybe given our timing here, we'll just go ahead and read the whole letter through and kind of turn to some of the, the highlights. So this letter goes from verse 7 through verse 13, the church in Philadelphia. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that's coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon." Hold fast what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. 
The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, so lots lots of good stuff here. Um, the stuff about the name, while it didn't initially come up, uh, comes up at the end um, in, in a big way. You got like the, the name, the, the new name of the people, the name of the city of God, the, the yep. new name of Christ, a very kind of interesting way of putting that. Uh, the and, the thing that kind of stands... He also talks about them not denying his name. Uh, not well, no, that's true, that's true. Which is a pretty nice right. tie to the previous letter where he had talked about mm -hmm. um, um, about deny, um, denying him versus Confess keeping him and confessing him. Yep. You know, he confesses That's our right. name before the Father, but here it's, hey, those who have not denied my name. That's right. No, no, that's that's true. So, so there really, there really are like ties throughout with, with this name idea, the baptismal identity idea. Uh, the thing that's that there's two things that are kind of particularly different that stand out to me though, and those you've got this open and shut business, the key of David, this open door, and then on the other side, this synagogue of Satan, um, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. That I think is really striking. Um, but but yeah, what do you, what what, do you, what stands out to you here? Um, maybe is a little bit distinctive in this um, warning and these words and this encouragement even um, for the church in Philadelphia. So the the matter of the key of David. Okay, this is held by Christ Himself and very uh, strong ties to Matthew sixteen, for example, with the uh, yeah. Uh, power the keys that Christ gives to the church. It is his, those are his keys, uh, but he gives the authority to the church to exercise on his behalf. And what does the key do? It opens so that no one can shut. So what Christ opens, no one can shut, and he shuts and no one opens. So this is uh, even the gates of everlasting life, uh, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. So when he opens heaven to all believers by faith, Nobody can come around and shut that down tight for you. Right. So right. Very, very similar spell. in the in the. As you say, well, it's say the, e, the ESV is helpful in, in the footnote, right? The e, it points us to Matthew sixteen nineteen, as you were just pointing us to that that language of open and shutting is very similar to that that loosing and binding in verse nineteen yes. of Matthew sixteen, right? Exactly, and so uh, this is a statement about Christ's authority, and also. To what end does he delight to use his authority? He loves to use mm -hmm. his authority to the end of opening the kingdom of heaven to all believers. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and, now that and, and, and in this process of opening, nicely to verse nine that you brought up exactly. about those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not. So I would take that as um, who are the true offspring of Abraham, and so. Uh, that one is an offspring of Abraham, not simply by one's um, biological descent, but rather because one holds to the same faith as Abraham. Abraham, who had faith in the Lord and the Savior whom the Lord had promised. So also that is who is the, the true Israel today, those who have the same faith as Abraham, namely having faith in Christ. Right. 
Yeah, no, that's, that's, um, I, I think that that's just a really cool thing here that this again seems to uh, kind of just really coincide and be right in step with Paul that, you know, as Paul talks about, you know, that, that we are the branches grafted in to Abraham and that, you know, the true children of Abraham are the ones who are like him and that they act on faith. Um, not that they necessarily are, you know, this blood relation, right? Um, right. Very, very, very similar. And just, I mean, so much of what he talks about in Romans, the whole idea of like vessels of wrath and things like this, because I mean, it's kind of a scandal in the context that, that Paul's writing, because it's like, how could this be that, that God would be okay with there being um, all of these Jews that are going to reject the Messiah and um, and be condemned. Like, how how could he do that? Why would he do that, right? Uh, and so Paul kind of gets at it at this other route of t- kind of talking about God's, um, you know, God's uh, just providence, right? Of his his uh, mastery over all creation, and hey, he he can do that if he wills. Um, the way that's interesting here is that John um, uses kind of a different expression here and just says, well, in a certain sense, as you were saying, they're not really Jews. I mean, like they, they have, and this is kind of what we've been talking about. They have the name, they have the reputation, but they don't actually have the name in the sense of the identity like that. That's not who they really are because being a, being a Jew in the, in the true sense is not well, because mama was like a Jew, right? It's, it's because you're actually, you know, go back the key of David, interesting way of talking about that, right? Because the keys right. of the church are, are the keys of the people of God. It's the one who is the descendant and the heir and the greater David, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. You can't be a Jew if, you know, a member of the house of Judah, if you reject the Messiah and the ruling royal house of Judah, who is Jesus Christ. I mean, so, I mean, that, that's, that's a really, I mean, profound way of it being put here. I mean, if you want to be with Judah, Judah is Jesus Christ. Yes. And, you know, one other thing that popped along as you were uh, holding forth there, Pastor Espinoza, is that um, this matter of the the providential care of the Lord, and you yeah. uh, brought that up nicely. I think that also funnels very nicely into verse 10, where hmm. Christ promises, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming right. on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Now, that is um, a verse that could be quickly misconstrued to be in the sense of, well, God, God will keep you from having to deal with any problems. But that's not what he's oh. teaching there. Uh, I will keep you. It could rightly be translated as, I will guard you from that, so that even though you endure trial and tribulation, which obviously all believers do, as you uh, endure that, I'm going to guard you so that it does not rob you of what I have done for you, because the keys uh, of David have opened the kingdom of heaven for you, and no one can shut that, not even in the midst of trial. That, that's that's well said. I appreciate that connection there. It's the same verb again, right? The, the keeping that was mentioned um, in the previous section about keeping what you have received and heard. And so here now, the other way around, it's it's the Lord Jesus keeping us or holding on um, to something. And yeah, it is it is interesting because I think in English, when you say keep someone from something, um, I, you almost kind of like just mentally insert the word away. 
right? Like, so it's kind of the sense of keep us away from it. Like we don't have to be near it or we, we get spared it um, in, in some sense, right? Uh, right. But I mean, it's, 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 it's actually, a, you know, to your point about making the connections between John Revelation, right? Like uh, think of John 17, right? Um, where in verse 15, the Lord says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, right? I feel like that really nicely makes the point you were just making, that it's not that he's going to take God's people and, and put them somewhere else so that they don't have to experience this or, or deal with this, right? He's not saying that we're going to be taken out of the world and the problems, but that we're preserved, right, in the midst of whatever the evil one may bring, and so that they would be preserved in the midst of everything, that's going on, as the Lord says in his uh, high priestly prayer. Yeah, and also this is exactly what uh, we pray for with the seventh petition of the Lord's Prayer. Deliver us from right. evil, or more specifically in the Greek, deliver us from the evil one. Um, and that's yeah. not a promise that we're going to get zapped away from all the problems and we don't have to right. deal with them, but rather the Lord preserves us, guards us, keeps us safe in his care, even in the midst of all that. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I think that's the, the right way to, to be taking this here that, you know, it's it really in the midst. It, it's from, right, but not like from as in away. It's like kind of in the sense of, um, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I sort of think of like, you know, if there's like a, I, I don't know. I, I remember that when, when I was little, like my, my, my dad took us to the beach and uh, there was like this really like all kind of all of a sudden, like, I don't know, the wind whipped up or something like that. And like a really large wave all of a sudden was like barreling down on us all. And it was like, you know, he just like stood there and like, like we like we kind of took the wave. Right. Because he kind of was like breaking it for us there, like for me. And I think like at least my sister, like Elizabeth was there. Um, but kind of in that sense, it's not that we were I mean, we were actually in the middle of it. <laughs> it was all happening. Right. But there was something right. between us and that. Right. So yeah. like in the same sense of like you're not being taken away or whisked away or it's like you were saying, kind of zapped out like, um, I, you know, of course, uh, we're talking about Revelation. So you're thinking about popular interpretations and misinterpretations, like the idea of like, you know, being like zapped out of your clothes, rapture stuff. Right. Not necessarily yep, yep. something like that, but that, you know, in the midst of it, we would be preserved. And uh, to your point about when did you know John write all this stuff? This is one of those things that makes me wonder, right, if if maybe he really did write this earlier on than some people suppose, um, maybe mm -hmm. even before, you know, eighty seventy, right? But before every all the craziness happened um, with with Rome destroying Jerusalem and all the rest, um, it, it's hard to say. But there there are a few things like that 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 might signal that indeed this was um, written early on, and the point was that they would be spared in the midst of everything that was about to happen. Well, let's go ahead and take a look at this last letter then. And um, yeah, we got we got to talk about this, the, the lukewarm, right? This is um, this is this is kind of a, a favorite uh, image in scripture, favorite metaphor of um, some of uh, well, I'm thinking of one of my family members who in particular likes this one. But let's go ahead and read this here to the church in Laodicea. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot, cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold, hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. 
For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." So a lot, a lot going on here, and I was kind of focusing on the lukewarm part, but I forgot the In-N-Out part here. Um, out, out here in California, a very popular burger chain, In-N-Out Burger, right? Like they have this yeah. verse, right, like printed on their packaging, Revelation uh, 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. A very popular evangelism verse. Of course, yeah. it's being spoken to a church here. This is not about coming to faith. It's about remaining steadfast in the faith and repenting of uh, one's complacency. Right. Yeah. So, so, so put, put this together for us, because it seems like all this letter is kind of focused on this idea that, you know, that they, they have either, they started off like nice and ice cold and refreshing, but now they've warmed up or, or maybe they were nice and hot and now they've started to cool down. But there's this, there's this complacency and, and this, this uh, reluctance to, to go further as the Lord would seek to refine them, um, but they seem to prefer their creature comforts. Yeah, and I'd like to start off with just the contrast that you have between who Christ is, verse 14, yeah. and then what's described as you were just setting forth there, because he is uh, described as the words of the Amen. He is the Amen. And uh, in John's account of the gospel, you regularly hear Jesus saying, Amen, amen, I am saying yeah. to you. Or often we translate it as verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to you. Right. But uh, it's actually amen, amen. Now, that's actually a Hebrew word. And the Hebrew mm -hmm. word really means for something to be concrete, certain, and sure. So when you give your amen to a prayer, or if you go to a church and they're given amens during a sermon, you're essentially saying, hey, what was just said is certain, sure, and true. All right? right, I agree with it. Right. And so Jesus is the amen. He is certain, sure, and true. And you contrast that with who he is to who Laodicea, that church, has been, that they are now mm -hmm. lukewarm, that they are complacent. And so uh, they have become comfortable with what they've got. So they say that they're rich, but what do they not realize? Their complete and utter dependence upon God for true riches that right. what they need is not the creature comforts maybe that have uh, kept them comfortable, but rather they need something far greater that can only be supplied from God. So verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. Now I'm reminded of Isaiah, who uh, has this wonderful call of the Lord to his people saying, you know, you who have no money, come and buy bread to eat and so Right. Because yeah, no, that's right. With no money, what can they buy? They can't buy anything, but that's the thing. He gives it out freely. So you come to him, he gives you the bread that you need. 
Same thing going on here. This gold that uh, he offers, it's not um, the gold that our world lusts after, but rather it is the finest um, that he gives to us, namely salvation. Then you get the white well, right. and such. Well, no, that's right. Or, or you think of, um, you know, just like in the, in the Psalms, right, like the comparison that, you know, the, the, the Word of God is like sweeter than the honeycomb, brighter than the sun, or more precious yeah. than gold, those kind of golden colored things. And it's the Word of God that we're talking about. Um, yeah, I mean, the connection to Isaiah is, is a great one. I, I think that there's a, just as you were saying, this idea of, hey, don't be fooled by appearances and put your hope in all of these, these things, right, that are passing away. You think of like the apostles being so impressed by the the uh, the stones of the temple in Jerusalem, and he's like, guys, these aren't even going to be standing on each other when this all comes through. Um, I, I feel and like this sort of scenario. Of so, go ahead. I was going to say, when you talk about the value of the gold, think about also where we end up with that here in the book of Revelation, that the uh, in the new Jerusalem that comes out of heaven from God, the streets are paved with gold. Now, on yeah. one hand, that can say about the great splendor of our eternal dwelling in the new Jerusalem. Yeah. But also, I think it speaks to the uh, just how valuable is gold. It's got the value that that's what you ought to be paving your streets with. That <laughs> you know, that, that's, that, that's an interesting... I, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, no, I mean, that, that's definitely another uh, twist on it. But I mean, either way, it's like, it just shows like relatively, it's, is, it, is it really that important? Um, yeah. So I think we got like about a minute and a half here till it's uh, 2820 here. Um, I, I feel like this is all stuff that we can definitely relate to in these times because we, we find ourselves, right? Um, we talked about it a little bit, you know, the situation of uh, there, there's, there is a, a bishop over these churches, right? All these little house churches throughout, right? We kind of find ourselves in that early church situation right now that we have our pastors, right? But uh, we're kind of scattered amongst these houses. We find ourselves like uh, Laodicea, reluctant to give up our creature comforts and the things that we really think we need. Um, we find ourselves maybe like the church in Sardis, right, thinking that we have um, inviolable Jerusalem, but actually you know, maybe some of the things that we thought were inviolable aren't even going to be here when uh, things are through and the dust settles. So uh, just, you know, maybe just briefly here with the last, you know, less than a minute, um, maybe connect, connect maybe a, a, a couple of these dots here as we step back and look at this chapter as a whole for us. So in the end, you know, the, we're called to hold fast to that which holds fast forever. Um, we're several times in here, there's a, a call to hold fast, but to what do you hold fast? That which isn't going to fail you. And so right. you don't bank on gold, as we just mentioned here, or all these other things. Instead, you hold fast to Christ and his word. This is what lasts and endures. And this is the antithesis of being lukewarm. When you're lukewarm, you're uh, half committed. But when you cling to Christ, there's full commitment. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, brother. Uh, looking forward to having you on again soon, everybody. Pastor Kevin Golden, pastor at Village Lutheran Church in Ladue, Missouri. Moving on to Revelation chapter 4. Until next time, everybody, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word 
produced by the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.